Well, there is a frog. Walked into a bank. Went up to his favorite teller, Patricia, and said, Ms. Wack, I need to get a loan, $10,000. I want to go on vacation. She goes, well, that's highly unusual. We don't usually give loans out for vacations, especially that much money. And she said, uh, do you have any collateral? Well, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a little tiny elephant, minuscule, finely carved masterpiece, actually. It was a wonderful piece of art. She looked at that and said, well, that's not enough for such a loan. The frog said, don't worry, my dad is a good friend of the bank manager. Well, my, uh, and my dad is Mick Jagger. I'm Mick Jagger's son. Just go tell him Mick Jagger's son wants a loan. Everything's going to be all right. So Ms. Wax, she took the porcelain elephant, went into the manager's office, and she explained about the loan. She told him who was asking and what he wanted and what he wanted it for, and then showed him the elephant. She says, and this is his collateral. I don't even know what is this thing. The bank manager said, it's a knick-knack, Paddywhack. Give the frog his loan. His old man's a rolling stone. Do you know how long I've waited to tell that story? When I first met my wife, um, her room was full of frogs. By the way, we're going to talk about frogs a lot today. Um, she had ceramic frogs, she had stuffed frogs, kissing frogs, doorstop frogs, big frogs, little frogs, I mean frogs just everywhere. In fact, I think I commented to her when we were dating that it looked like her room was a plague of exodus. And, uh, but soon after we started dating, she got rid of all her frogs. She did. See, somebody had told her in her younger years, you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince. Well... I'll find out who said that. Turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 8. Now the context of this passage of God's word is the Israelites are in bondage to Egypt, much like a lot of people today are in bondage to sin. And by the way, there's a big parallel there about how they became in bondage and how we become in bondage, but that's for another message. By the time we pick up the story, God has determined to deliver his people from bondage. You see, God is at work today to rescue people. Today, God is still active rescuing people from themselves. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, most of us know this story. If we don't know it from Sunday school, we know it from Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, that great movie about how God and, uh, had sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, who was a ruler of Egypt, to demand the release of his children. And when Moses made the demand, Pharaoh refused to set God's people free. Well, that, of course, didn't stop God from continuing with his plan. God began to show his great power through ten different plagues that he sent upon Egypt. Now, there's something I want you to understand about these plagues. They were not done out of hatred from God. They were not designed to show God's animosity, his bitterness, his anger against Egyptians. There's a lot more to it. God is above such things. He's not petty. 
Uh, he, he, he doesn't do things for spite. God's purposes always have man's good at heart. God's purpose always has the highest principles. They're never base. They're never vindictive. So we ask him, why? why? Why these 10 plagues? Well, the answer is found in Exodus 12, verse 12, where he says, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. I am the Lord. This was a battle of the gods. This was a battle of all the gods of Egypt against the one true God of Israel. Egypt had many, many gods. In fact, there was, if there was a pest or something that bothered them, if there was something they were afraid of, they, they made it into a god so that they could serve it, uh, worship it, give to it, so that maybe that calamity wouldn't fall upon them. So they worshiped all of these gods. So every one of the plagues that are in the book of Exodus were chosen specifically by the Lord as a challenge to the so-called power of their idols. It was Jehovah God's way of saying, I intend to rescue my people, but while I'm at it, I am going to show them that the living God has control over all of life. There was a lesson in this for Israel, that when God set them free, that they would need no other God because their God was all-powerful. It was a lesson for Egypt, that they had no recourse but to allow the Israelites to go free. It was also a lesson to them that their gods were false. Their gods were dead. They were, they were uh, powerless. There was only one true living God. But there's a lesson here for us. As we submit ourselves to God, he is going to save us, but in this life, we're going to find ourselves become dependent upon something or someone more than we become dependent upon God. And he's going to allow things into our life that he intends to use to rescue us from that bondage. Case in point, rich young ruler comes to Jesus and talks to him about having eternal life. And Jesus looks into his heart and he says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. He started thinking about all of his wealth and how dependent he was on his wealth. And he walked away sadly. He couldn't do it. See, Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew that this man held on to his riches. So God is going to look into your heart. He's going to see some things that, that he needs to help you get rid of. And he allows these things to come to us. God will examine your heart. And he'll deal with whatever it is that you're giving preeminence over him. Our text in uh, Exodus chapter 8 is the second of the ten plagues that came to Egypt. It was directed at the frog god, Hekai, H-E-K. K-I, this was a God that they had erected, a frog-headed idol. So we're going to read how God dealt with this God, Hekai. I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. 
The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and into your bed and into the houses of your servants and of your people, into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up unto you and on your people and to all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come out up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same. I don't know why they did, but the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take them away, take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. Moses said, be, be as, it's, as you say, so that it may, you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Verse 3 of that text tells us the extent of this plague. It says that the Nile shall swarm with frogs. They'll come up into your house, into your bedroom, onto your bed, into your houses, the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. The miracle was not so much that the frogs came, but they came in such a manner as they have never done before. And they came exactly as God said they would. The frogs came and they They took over the land. Can can you just imagine the the scene there? Piles of frogs. And and as the donkey and the oxen and the the cattle are walking, they're crushing the the frogs with every step. So they have squashed, stinking, rotting frogs everywhere. I I mean, the scene is, uh, the roads are are, are filled, sidewalks are filled. Men and women are walking two, three feet of frogs. I I guess they're about needy and frogs. Some of them were wearing jumpsuits. Jumpsuits. They were wearing open-toed shoes, some of them. Toed Except for the one that had no legs. He was unhoppy. He couldn't play their favorite game, croquette. Croque. Don't worry, I got more. <laughs> Save your laughter, I know you are. It seemed like they, they came instantly on this first new leap year. I had that one. I, I can imagine. Can you imagine the conversation at dinner? Mom comes out there. She's serving the, you know, dinner, and she says, you're not going to believe my day. I went to make the biscuits, and there were frogs in, in the flour. I had to pull them out, and, and I kneaded the, the dough, and I let it rest. When I opened it up, there were frogs in it. I had to pull them out. Then when I went to put them in the oven to bake them, there's baked frogs in the oven. Anybody want any more biscuits? Yeah. I bet that they'd great for their appetite. They'd go to get a glass of water. And the frogs are having a swim party in the water bucket, drinking their Coca-Cola. 
listening to hip-hop music. Oh, you don't think so? Maybe it was Hopra. This story is riveting, isn't it? If the frogs didn't get, didn't get Pharaoh hopping, I know who did. That was another joke there. Yeah, get him hopping. Mrs. Pharaoh, she gets in the bed, puts her feet up under between the sheets, and there's a big old bullfrog staking claim in her bed. She goes running down the hall and tells Pharaoh, you need to do something about this. So Pharaoh calls brother Moses and his assistant pastor, Aaron, and said, we've had enough. Call off your frogs. Call off your dogs. Call off your frogs. Okay, you're over them. I am too. Then in verse 9, and let's be serious for a minute. He says, command me. When? You tell me, Pharaoh, tell me. When do you want to get rid of the frogs? You take the initiative. You set the time that you're going to obey the Lord, and I will ask God to relieve you of the plague. And in verse 10, don't turn there yet. In verse 10 is Pharaoh's response. But before we look at it, I want you to think about this. What, were, what would you say if you were Pharaoh? And these frogs are just everywhere. They're in your house, they're in your bed, they're in your food. When do you want to get rid of the frogs? Now, immediately. Get, get rid of them. Take, take them out now. Moses just... Just tell God right this minute. But now let's look at verse 10. He, he said, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Why in the world are you going to say tomorrow? Moses said, be as, it, as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Would you be li willing to live with the frogs one more day? I have to suspect some of us have already said that to God. We've said one more day to him probably many times. I'm just going to live with the frogs. Leave me alone. See, Pharaoh's offered relief from this plague if you'll only obey the voice of the Lord. Pharaoh said that he is ready to repent. Moses says, when? Pharaoh thinks about it a little bit. I don't know what he's thinking about. I don't know why he said tomorrow. Maybe he's thinking, maybe I can figure this out myself. Maybe my magicians, they, they got frogs to come. Maybe they can get the frogs to leave. Let me have until tomorrow so that I can do it my way first. Saying tomorrow reflects an insincere heart. And, and I'm certain that we all know someone who needs to come to the Lord or someone who needs to get right with the Lord, we, we talk to them all the time. We say, you just got to give in, but they just won't. We know that God is drawing them. We know that God is making some things happen in their life so that they'll make a decision, and yet they cannot bring themselves to do anything about it right now. Not just yet, they say. Soon, keep praying for me. Don't give up on me. Talk to me about it tomorrow I can't tell you how many times I've witnessed to somebody and they go let me think about that you know when you say tomorrow you know what you're really saying don't you you're saying no it's a no and there are many that would rather spend one more night in misery 
than to do what they know is right. One more night of my way. One more night of my will. One more night of what I want. Give me time to think about it. Give me time to think of another way out of the situation. If I can't do it, then tomorrow. Tomorrow is probably one of the saddest words in all the world. In fact, there's a song that says tomorrow never comes. You know what happens when you wake up tomorrow? Tomorrow's tomorrow. Tomorrow's not now. Gloria Pitzer wrote a clever little poem. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will. Tomorrow. Yeah. So many have used that word to their ruin, to their hurt. And so many are saying, tomorrow I'm going to begin to pray. I know that I ought to be praying. We always talk about it. I know that I should and I will tomorrow. I ought to read my Bible. I ought to study my Bible and I will. I ought to be in Sunday school and I think I will tomorrow. I'm going to start giving to God's work. I know that I ought to and I will tomorrow. I know I ought to start the 40-day prayer. I'm, I'm going to start it tomorrow. First thing, tomorrow. I'm going to remain miserable today. Tonight, but tomorrow I'll submit to God. Tomorrow is a fool of a word. Because each time we put off obeying God, we harden our heart a little bit more. That's what happened to Pharaoh. He'd say yes and he'd renege. His heart would be hardened. All the time God is dealing with Pharaoh. He'd come to the point of voicing words of repentance, but each time he hardened his heart. And I think some of us have hardened our hearts a lot more than we think that we have. You know, when the Holy Spirit prompted you to read your Bible and you put it off, when he prompted you to pray, when the Holy Spirit prompted you to witness or to give, but you, you had an excuse. Couldn't right now. I was busy at that time. There was something else I had to do. My favorite show was coming on TV. If we continue our biblical illustration of Pharaoh, we find that his attitude led him to the Dead Sea where he and his entire army were destroyed. There is death in the word tomorrow. Or more properly, there is death in the attitude that says, I will wait until tomorrow. For the Christian, the word is the devil's word. It's, it's what he's telling you to do. God speaks to our heart about being obedient in some area of our life, about prayer or witnessing. And we say, yes, Lord, I, I, here I am, send me. I want to do your will, but let me do it tomorrow. For some here right now, um, the touch of God doesn't even convict us anymore. When the Holy Spirit speaks and moves in our life, we, we don't even notice it because the heart has become so hardened to the voice of God. You know, there are a lot of lost Christians in the world today. 
they haven't lost their salvation. That's, that's impossible. But they have lost themselves to the cause of Christ, to his work. A reluctance to obey God immediately reveals the insincerity of our hearts. And God is going to work in your life to expose to us that problem so that he can deal with it. We have said that the word tomorrow is the word of the devil, is a word of hurt, is a word of death. If that be true, then the word today, yes, Lord, is a word of life. It's a word for our good. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it today, right now. Live today. Obey the Lord today. If there's a Christian deed that I know that I need to do, I ought to do it now. I'm just going to resign myself to one more night of misery, one more night of disobedience, one more night of living with the frogs, the frogs of guilt, frogs of unconfessed sin, the frogs of an unreconciled brother or sister, the frogs of misery. Those are the things that rob a man of his sleep, steal away their peace. It's a soul misery that keeps us from enjoying our fellowship with God. Once upon a time, there was a frog. His name was Ribitish. Ribitish the frog was the biggest, fattest frog on the whole pond. He got that way because there was this log that went out over the pond and he set himself up as king of that pond. And he sat there all day long just eating the flies, eating the, the bugs that came by. Other frogs would come up and say, Ribitish, can I sit on the log just for a little while and get some of those flies? No. Leave me alone. And he'd sit there and eat. If they kept bothering him, you know what Ribitish would do? He'd eat those little frogs. Yeah, yeah, look it up. That happens. Ribitish sat there every day on his log, eating and getting bigger and bigger. When I say that he sat around the log, I mean he sat around the log. He's a big frog. Well, one night, the sun went down, the moon came up, and it got cold. This cold wind came. And Ribitish started shivering. He said, tomorrow... I'm going to jump into the pond, I'm going to swim to the bottom, and I'm going to hibernate. Next day, the sun came out, oh, it was warm, there were still flies, there were still bugs, and he kept eating, all the other frogs, they're jumping into the pond, they're going down to hibernate. But not, not Ribitish, he said, I'm going to wait one more day. That night, the sun went down, the moon came up, it got cold, colder than the first night. And Ribitish said, oh, for sure tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to go. Next day, the sun came up, still some flies. Ribitish said, I'm going to wait one more day. Well, that night when the sun went down, the moon came up and the air was frigid, frigid cold. In fact, it was so cold it began to snow. And he just sat there going, oh, tomorrow for sure, tomorrow I'm going to jump into the pond. And I'm going to swim to the bottom, bury myself in the mud and hibernate. The next day the sun came up. There was no flies. There was no warmth. It was freezing cold. And with all of his might, Ribitish jumped off of that log and the pond had frozen over. 
it was too late. If you're here today and you're unsaved, the Bible says today is a day of salvation. We want to say, I'll wait till tomorrow. Let me think about this preacher. It's a big decision in my life. Let me think about it just a little bit. Let me wait one more day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. Christian friend, God has laid it upon your heart for a long time now that you're supposed to be doing something for him. It could have happened years ago, and your heart's even hardened to that now. You, you've got to really think back to remember it. it. It's still not too late. We had a really good friend. He was well into his 80s. He, he was a wealthy man. He, he made himself very wealthy. And he said, you know, when I was a teenager, God called me to preach. But I told him no. He regretted it to the day he died. Don't have any regrets, beloved. If there's a decision that has to be made, make that decision today. You don't have to live one more night with the frogs. You don't have to live another night apart from him. If you're lost today, Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. He loved you so much that he came while you were yet a sinner and he died for your sin. Whether you're here in the sanctuary, you're listening on Facebook, on YouTube, give your heart to Jesus. Call out to him. The Bible says we're all sinners and we all need a savior. And Jesus is the savior. God sent his son to die for our sin. And you can call upon the name of the Lord today. That's what he says to do. Call upon the name of the Lord. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. And Christian friend, God said, if you'll confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? God, we know that there have been times in our life that we have said no, we have said wait, we have said I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, and we never did. We have vows that we have made and we've not kept. God, let today be the day of repentance, let today be a day of rejoicing through the repentance. God, that we will say to you, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. God, that we will come to you and say, let me have your grace. I pray for that lost soul that is here today, that is listening, maybe by radio, maybe, maybe by the computer. I pray, oh God, that you would just touch their heart Draw them to yourself. Help them to call out to you and asking you to be their savior. Minister to these, your people, this day, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. During this invitation, I invite you to come. Come for salvation. Come to join this church. Maybe you've made some other decision. But I'm also calling for the church during our 40 days of prayer to come every Sunday to this altar to pray for this church. So as we stand together and as we sing, you come.